And welcome to Those Days Will Never Return, Amateur History Lessons from the Public Domain. My name is Amy, and I will be your host. This is the podcast where I read through personal narratives from the public domain and contextualize them within history. Today we will continue our reading of 18 Months in the War Zone by Kate Finzi. Before we get started, though, I do have one correction from last episode. Um, I added it into the episode's description, but I just wanted to reiterate it here. Um, I mentioned LibriVox.com. It's actually LibriVox.org. That is the website where people volunteer to read aloud these public domain works and um, make them audiobooks. So if you're interested in an audiobook version of this work that isn't interrupted by my constant ramblings, uh, you can go check that out. With that correction out of the way, we can continue our reading of 18 Months in the War Zone by Kate Finzi. Today I will be reading the introduction to Finzi's narrative. The introduction was written by Major General Sir Alfred Turner. I will be reading straight from Project Gutenberg, however I will be occasionally stopping to give historical context to what I've just read. When I stop, I will say, okay, let's pause, to signal that I'm taking a break from reading the text and giving background information or my own thoughts. And then when I'm ready to continue reading, I will say, okay, let's continue. That way to signal that I am now, again, reading straight from the text from Project Gutenberg. That way you guys can just have um, signals to when I'm starting and stopping my, my own thoughts versus the uh, author's words. Once again, I apologize for any mispronunciations, and I just want to give a general content warning that this is a personal narrative regarding the casualties of World War I, and therefore some of the content may be graphic or disturbing to some listeners. And with all that being said, let's begin. Introduction by Major General Sir Alfred Turner, KCB. In the following pages, Miss Kate Finzi gives in a plain, unvarnished style a terrible and graphic picture of the horrors of war, which have been intensified as never before, owing to the ferocious savagery of the German troops, as systemically ordered by their officers and commanded by the Kaiser himself, the greatest criminal in the world's record. For this war, planned and prepared deliberately by him, is the greatest crime ever committed against civilization and humanity. It is charitable to designate him a criminal lunatic, or, as his prototype Caligula was described, an epileptic with highly developed criminal instincts. When one reads of such sufferings as those described by Miss Finzi, one wonders for what end Providence can have allowed such an inhuman monster to exist and cause such sorrow, such suffering, such death and destruction to be inflicted on mankind. The books written upon the vast conflict are already legion, but I think this is the first record, a most pathetic and interesting record, of what happened at the based hospitals at Boulogne, where tens of thousands of wounded, maimed, and mutilated incessantly arrived to be passed on to England, or to linger there till death came as a happy release from their sufferings. How many officers and men of those glorious first seven divisions which left these shores in August 1914, a tiny but, for its size, an incomparable army, which stemmed the seemingly irresistibly flowing tide of von Kluck's legions against Paris, the contemptible little army of General French, as it was described by the imperial braggart of Germany, 
lie buried near the spot where stands the memorial pillar in honor of Napoleon's army of invasion in 1804. After the war, it will be incumbent on us with the approval of our firm and faithful allies whose spirit, bravery, and skill in fighting has astounded the world to raise another monument especially to the memory of our heroic countrymen who withstood the hordes of the Hun and thwarted his advance both on Paris and Calais. Miss Finzi's book is quite unpretentious and is a simple record of facts which brings home vividly to our minds the sickening horrors of war and the awful sufferings that our gallant defenders have had to undergo in doing their duty in the service of their king and country for the honor and integrity of the empire and for the safety and protection of the people in this country in this great war of liberation. What they have been protected from can well be gathered from the openly expressed threats of the Germans, soldiers, military writers, professors, and ministers of German religion, that the crimes and outrages which they committed in Belgium and France, Poland and Serbia, should be as nothing to those which they would make our people suffer. It is well that these things should be brought home to our people who, owing to our insular position, have experienced nothing of the horrors of war and are apt to make too light of them from want of power to realize them. Naturally, there was great confusion at the base, owing to the suddenness with which war broke out upon nations entirely unprepared for it and taken by surprise, for although dark suspicions of the evil designs of Germany lurked in many men's minds, the extent of the infamy of the Kaiser and his pan-German parasites did not enter into the minds of many people, not even in the case of those who, like myself, thought they knew the Germans well. The latter veiled their innate brutality, their bloodlust, and their intention to acquire world domination through brute force with consummate craftiness. Miss Finzi gives a graphic account of the troubles that had to be surmounted owing to insufficiency of hospital requisites, beds, medicines, doctors, and nurses, but this was inseparable from the nature of things and has long since been righted. We may indeed be proud of our services of mercy, Nothing can exceed their value and efficiency, namely the RAMC and our nurses. If our gallant soldiers and sailors engaged through political blunder and the Gallipoli gamble and the coup disaster had been as well tended and supplied as those in France, how many lives thrown away through political ineptitude would now have been spared, spared to us? Okay, let's pause. Just a reminder that the research I'm doing is basic Wikipedia searches, but I do want to share this information as I think it helps contextualize what I've just read. So to begin, I want to give some information on Major General Turner himself. He was a British army officer of the late 19th century who served in administrative posts in Ireland. KCB stands for Knight Commander of the Order of Bath, which is a British order of chivalry. He had a distinguished military career and was also known for his interest in psychical research. He identified as a spiritualist and was a member of the International Club for Psychical Research. He attended seances with the materialization medium Cecil Husk and defended Husk's abilities in various newspaper articles. He was born March 3rd, 1842 and died November 20th, 1918. 
Note number two on my list is that Turner mentions Alexander von Kluck, who was a German general who was in command of the German First Army. Turner also mentions the RAMC, which is the Royal Army Medical Corps. Active since 1898, the RAMC is a specialist corps in the British Army, which provides medical services to all Army personnel and their families in wartime and in peace. Turner also makes reference to the Gallipoli Gamble. The Gallipoli Campaign was a military campaign in the First World War that took place on the Gallipoli Peninsula, which is in modern Turkey. From February 17th, 1915 to January 9th, 1916, the Allied powers, Britain, France, and Russia, sought to weaken the Ottoman Empire, one of the central powers, by taking control of the Ottoman Straits. This would expose the Ottoman capital at Constantinople to to bombardment by Allied battleships and cut it off from the Asian part of the empire. With Turkey defeated, the Suez Canal would be safe and a year-round Allied supply route could be opened through the Black Sea to warm warm water ports in Russia. The attempt by Allied fleets to force a passage through the strait in February 1915 failed and was followed by an amphibious landing on the Gallipoli Peninsula in April 1915. In January 1916, after eight months fighting with approximately 250,000 casualties on each side, the land campaign was abandoned and the invasion force withdrawn. It was a costly campaign for the Allied powers and the Ottoman Empire, as well as for the sponsors of the expedition, especially the First Lord of the Admiralty, Winston Churchill. The campaign was considered a great Ottoman victory. Turner also references the siege of Kut al-Amara, which ran from December 7th, 1915 to April 29th, 1916. This was also known as the First Battle of Kut, and it was the besieging of an 8,000-strong British army garrison in the town of Kut, 100 miles south of Baghdad by the Ottoman army. In 1915, its population was around 6,500. Following the surrender of the garrison on April 29th, 1916, the survivors of the siege were marched to imprisonment at Aleppo, during which many died. Historian Christopher Catherwood has called the siege the worst defeat of the Allies in World War I. Ten months later, the British Indian Army, consisting almost entirely of newly recruited troops from western India, conquered Kut, Baghdad, and other regions in between in the fall of Baghdad. So when Turner references these two failed military campaigns, he is wondering how many lives could have been spared if there had been the same number of nurses and supplies in those campaigns as there had been in France. Okay, let's continue. Miss Finzi writes most modestly of her own work, but we know that she and all the genuine nurses and helpers work devotedly and well, and that the deepest debt of gratitude is due from the nation to them, who softened the horrors of war to our soldiers, who ministered aid to them when they were sore stricken by wounds or diseases, and mitigated their tortures. It must not be forgotten that for many months the capture of Calais seemed not improbable, The Huns had no doubts upon this subject, and time after time, 
as in the case of Paris and Verdun, the bloodthirsty Kaiser gave his vain and arrogant orders to be taken at all cost, no matter at what sacrifice. A truly bene beneficent ruler and father of his people. The RAMC and nurses, therefore, were working at terrible disadvantage, with no certainty that the bestial and brutish enemy would not shortly appear, to wreck upon them his savage instincts of murder and lust, signs of which were constantly brought into them. Terrible wounds caused by expanding bullets, and, worst of all, accounts by eyewitnesses and victims of the perpetual and designed firing upon hospitals, dressing stations, stretcher bearers, it being, apparently, a craze of the Germans to kill and ill-treat what is helpless and cannot resist them. Tales also were related of civil population, men, women, and children, being butchered, and Red Cross nurses outraged in the most fiendish manner, and then mutilated and murdered. With such possible prospects and fate at the hands of men compared to whom the Huns of Attila, the Goths of Alaric, the Tartars of Timur, and the Mongols of Genghis Khan deserved a crown of mercy. Imagine what our nurses are, and what blessings they have brought to our soldiers and sailors. At the commencement of the Crimean War, there were no army nurses and no civil nurses, except those dreadful creatures described by Charles Dickens and Martin Chuzzlewit, such as Sari Gamp and Betsy Prigg, fat, waddling, coarse, ignorant, unclean, and unkempt, and usually smelling of gin. They attended births, sickbeds, and laying out of corpses, in which they took great pride, as it brought them in touch with the undertaker to their mutual advantage. Contrast such so-called nurses in their poke bonnets, smelly robes and clogs, with their huge, bulging umbrellas, their nosiness and heavy hands, with those of today, with their neat and serviceable uniform, their gentleness, their light hands, their kindness and sympathy with their suffering patients. As the late Dean Hull wrote in his Now and Then, they might be compared to a beautiful yacht scuttling along in a light breeze under a blue sky and shining sun, while the ancient apologies for nurses rolled along, a water or gin and water logged barge in the, in the Thames in a thick yellow November fog. Dean Hull. Okay, let's pause. So Turner references Charles Dickens' work Martin Chuzzlewit, Dickens wrote Martin Chuzzlewit from 1842 to 1844. The main theme, according to Dickens's pre preface, is selfishness, portrayed in a satirical fashion by all members of the Chuzzlewit family, and the story also features an alcoholic nurse named Sarah Gamp. Turner also paraphrases someone named Dean Hole and misremembers the title of his book as Now and Then, when it is actually then and now. I found the book on Amazon, which featured an excerpt from the book, which is quoted as, It was suggested to me that, having lived a long life as a squire and a parson, a churchman and a sportsman, in country and city, with high and low, I should have something to say which would interest others about the changes which I have seen. And with the hope which is given to every man who has done his best, the result of that suggestion is presented by the writer to those who have so long and so kindly encouraged him to write. I make no apology for sudden transitions from solemn to humorous discourse. Thoughts grave and mirthful bring shadow or sunshine to our hearts, 
like the uncertain glories of an April day, and I have sketched them as they came. End quote. So this was some sort of uh, clergyman that Turner knew enough about to, to quote or paraphrase in his introduction text. Okay, let's continue. It was to Florence Nightingale, of ever-blessed memory, that we owe the foundation of our army nursing system in 1854. When the news of the Battle of the Alma came, and of many thousands of wounded men with no nurses and a totally insufficient medical staff, and not a single ambulance, she volunteered to take out a number of nurses. For a wonder, her offer was accepted, for in those days every sort of change in army matters was considered a pernicious innovation. She took out 34 nurses to, to the Crimea, and before long had 10,000 wounded in her charge. The work which she and her nurses did was marvelous, and they stuck to it till their health broke down, as, one, as our present nurses have done. And the war, after the war, 50,000 pounds was subscribed for the purpose of founding an institution for the training of nurses in connection with St. Thomas's and King's College Hospitals. From that time, the army nursing system has steadily developed under the practical and ever-ready patronage of royalty till it reached its present perfection. In the Sudan and South African wars, the services of the nurses were invaluable. When the present war showed itself to be one of such gigantic dimensions, and when our army, due to the genius of Lord Kitchener, swelled to the size of millions, it was feared that a sufficient number of army nurses could not be forthcoming. But then the women of England showed what they were made of. Hundreds and thousands devoted themselves at once to training as nurses, others to the less skilled work required in hospitals for the victims of war. And now, owing to them and the admirable chiefs and subordinate officers of the RAMC, and to the patriotic and self-sacrificing manner in which private medical practitioners have come forward with their services, little or nothing is wanted considering the gigantic nature and scope of this terrible war. Miss Finzi is to be congratulated upon having written a most interesting and readable book, full of facts and personal experiences, such experiences as, please God, no one will again have to relate. And this will be so when once the Hohenzollerns, the cause of all trouble in Europe and elsewhere for many decades, are exterminated or driven into obscurity. The work shows forth in bright colors the universal devotion of our nurses, heroic women who face all dangers and hardships for the sake of doing good to others. Among these must ever stand forth the name of Edith Cable, who spent her whole life in mitigating the sufferings of others, who nursed even German officers in her hospital who had probably committed unspeakable crimes and atrocities in Belgium. This way it is nothing, as might have been expected in the eyes of the barbarous Teutons, to whom mercy, justice, and gratitude are unknown. She was done to death vilely and brutally, but her martyrdom will never be forgotten or forgiven. It will be one of the foulest of the many foul stains on the fame of the Kaiser and his accomplices, while it will ever shed a ray of glory upon the noble record of our British nurses. Alfred E. Turner Okay, let's stop. That was the introduction to Finzi's 18 Months in the War Zone, written by Major General Sir Alfred Turner. Some final notes in that last section. 
Um, he mentions Florence Nightingale. She was an English social reformer, statistician, and the founder of modern nursing. She came to prominence while serving as a manager and trainer of nurses during the Crimean War, in which she organized care for wounded soldiers at Constantinople. She significantly reduced death rates by improving hygiene and living standards. She gave nursing a favorable, favorable reputation and became an icon of Victorian culture, especially in the persona of the lady with the lamp making rounds of wounded soldiers at night. She was born May 12, 1820 and died August 13, 1910. So in comparison to the alcoholic, lazy nurses that Dickens wrote about, Nightingale showed that opposite end of the spectrum of someone who cared and was able to improve healthcare and, and nursing standards. Turner also mentions the Battle of the Alma, which was a battle in the Crimean War between an allied expeditionary force made up of French, British, and Ottoman forces and Russian forces defending the Crimean Peninsula on September 20th, 1854. He also mentions Herbert Kitchener, the first Earl Kitchener, who was an Anglo-Irish senior British army officer and colonial administrator. Kitchener came to prominence for his imperial campaigns, his scorched earth policy against the Boers, his expansion of Lord Robert's concentration camps during the Second Boer War, and his central role in the early part of World War I. In 1914, he became Secretary of State for War, a cabinet minister. He organized the largest volunteer ar army that Britain had seen and oversaw a significant expansion of material production to fight on the Western Front. My next note is in regards to Turner's mention, mentioning of Hohenzollerns. This is a reference to the House of Hohenzollern, which is a German royal dynasty. Germany's defeat in World War I in 1918 led to the German Revolution, in which the Hohenzollerns were overthrown and the Weimar Republic was established, bringing an end to the German monarchy. Turner's belief that the Hohenzollerns should be wiped out was very obvious in his text. Finally, Turner mentions Edith Cable. She was a British nurse. She is celebrated for saving the lives of soldiers from both sides without discrimination and for helping some 200 allied soldiers escape from German-occupied Belgium during the First World War, for which she was arrested under martial law. She was accused of treason, found guilty by a court-martial, and sentenced to death. Despite international pressure for mercy, she was shot by a German firing squad. Her execution received worldwide condemnation and extensive press coverage. The night before her execution, she said, Patriotism is not enough. I must have no hatred or bitterness towards anyone. These words were later inscribed on a memorial to her near Trafalgar Square. Her strong Anglican beliefs propelled her to help all those who needed it, both German and Allied soldiers. She was quoted as saying, I can't stop while there are lives to be saved. And yeah, that was the introduction and the historical context that goes with it. My thoughts, definitely a lot of military references, which makes sense given, you know, he's a major general for the army. Um, just also doing research, there's just an insane amount of fighting that happened both in the four years of the First World War and many different battles and losses and, 
you know, like the Lipoli and the Coot disaster, um, but also all the references to, to the Crimean War, and that was a rabbit hole I was not ready to jump into, uh, trying to stay focused on uh, the task at hand here. Um, but also kind of an interesting insight into the evolution of the view of nurses and how people viewed them, you know, from Charles Dickens' alcoholic midwives and, and, and bed nurses to, you know, Florence Nightingale, who is, you know, I feel like everyone knows is, is kind of, she's famous. I mean, she's infamous for her, her nursing skills and, and um, contributions to that field. And seeing how much Turner obviously cared for the women who volunteered their time and their their blood, sweat, and tears literally to to help uh, in this war effort. And um, yeah, it was interesting to read. A question I have is how was he chosen to write the introduction? Um, did he actually know Kate Finzi? Did they ever meet? Did he only ever read a manuscript and was asked to give his own thoughts in an introduction? Um, that's something that I'd be curious to look into. Um, not some, I'm not sure if that's something that, you know, the publishing company would still have records of, of how exactly this manuscript came together and was published. So that would be interesting to look into with, you know, he seems like a pretty big deal, this major general giving his own thoughts and insights onto this woman's work. Um, but yeah. This concludes episode two of Those Days Will Never Return. Next time we will start chapter one of 18 Months in the War Zone, featuring Kate Finzi's experiences in Boulogne, France during World War I. You can follow the show on Instagram at Those Days Will Never Return. Remember, every day is a gift, so do your best and make the most of it. I'll see you next time.